Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me is my co-host Aaron Miller. This is our news roundup episode. This week we won't have a question of the week episode. Both of us have been busy uh, and that will be the case occasionally going forward. Now that we've split the two, uh, the news roundup will hopefully be the one that we do absolutely every week. And then the question of the week episode is the one that we will drop as needed. Uh, we still hope to do one most weeks, but uh, we, there will be some weeks like this week when we don't have one. Uh, but this is our news roundup episode. So we're going to talk about a few different news items this week. Again, as usual, we're pulling these from news items that I've covered in the tech narrative service that I run um, that I launched recently. And the topics that we're covering this week are, uh, first off, wireless spectrum in the US. So one big story, one smaller story about that. The FCC released the results from the spectrum auction that it recently concluded. And also AT&T bought a company called Straight Path, which basically is a spectrum holding entity. Secondly, two stories about things that Apple is reportedly working on. Uh, firstly, on Friday, uh, the California Department of Motor Vehicles released Apple's name as one of the latest additions to its roster of companies testing self-driving cars. And then there was also a report this week that Apple has been testing uh, glucose monitoring device or devices for, for some time now, several years actually. Um, and so that's another interesting story about Apple working on a future product. Thirdly, we're going to talk about Uber and Uber on Friday afternoon released its uh, Q4 and 2016 financials to Bloomberg. These have generally leaked out in the past anyway, but they formally released at least a sanitized version of them to Bloomberg. So we'll talk about that and also a couple of other Uber stories this week. Fourthly, we're going to talk about the fact that Samsung's Bixby voice assistant, the voice component of Bixby, uh, won't release at launch with the devices, uh, the S8 and S8 Plus in the US. Uh, that's a surprise to some people, not so much to others, and we'll talk about that. And then fifthly, we'll talk about three news stories, actually. There was one sort of late-breaking one this afternoon, but three news stories about Le Eco, uh, which had a really bad week. Uh, and so we'll talk about them fifth. So it should be about 25, 30 minutes of discussion on those five topics, starting with the spectrum discussion. Um, briefly, for those of you who haven't followed it, the FCC, the US telecoms regulator, released the results of an auction that was held uh, over the last couple of months. This auction basically took spectrum that was held by broadcasters, and those broadcasters voluntarily decided to give up that spectrum. In some cases, they'll just move to a different frequency band. In other cases, they'll just give it up entirely. Uh, in return for money, and the money will come from uh, would-be wireless operators. Some of them are already wireless operators, others are companies that are new to this space, but uh, these wireless operators bid for the spectrum, and it raised somewhere around $19, $20 billion, uh, of which about half will go to the broadcasters who are vacating the spectrum, about $7 billion will go to the U.S. taxpayer, um, or at least to the U.S. government, and help to reduce the, the deficit. Um, and T-Mobile was the big winner. So we ended up winning about 45% of the licenses on offer and uh, we'll be spending, I think, somewhere around $8 billion for the privilege of doing that, uh, far outspending anybody else. Um, of the other wireless carriers, AT&T was the only one that really bid uh, a significant amount. They bid just under a billion dollars to pick up a few licenses in a few markets across the country, including uh, one that covers both of us. Um, and then U.S. Cellular is another smaller wireless carrier that also picked up a few licenses. But uh, among the other big bidders were Dish and Comcast, so two TV companies. Uh, Dish already has quite a bit of spectrum. Comcast, of course, just released its mobile service um, last week or, or announced it, um, but that's based on Verizon's network, so there's still some questions about 
whether they really do plan to build their own wireless network. But that was the big news. And then the minor news was AT&T acquiring Straight Path or announcing its intention to acquire Straight Path, which owns Spectrum, hasn't done anything with it. And the FCC therefore said, look, you're not using this, you have to sell it. And so AT&T was the winning bidder, essentially, in a small process they held. There was a story from Reuters earlier today that Verizon might be uh, looking to make a higher bid, so that's not finalized yet. But those are the two sort of pieces of Spectrum news. Um, the, the key thing here really is that T-Mobile is making a huge deal about all the spectrum that it won this week and really crowing about it and making a big deal about how they're going to be the best, the best, the best uh, in, in typical sort of T-Mobile fashion. Um, the challenge is that, you know, the reason they need this spectrum is they don't have enough of it. And this is what you call low band spectrum. So this is in the 600 megahertz band, which is sort of towards the lower end of the spectrum that's used by wireless carriers today. It's particularly good for reaching long distances and into buildings. Um, and that's something that T-Mobile has been poor at, both coverage in generally and uh, and specifically in building coverage. So this will help them with that. But the fact they have this spectrum will just kind of help them get to parity with the other carriers, not necessarily leapfrog them. So it's worth taking their sort of boasts about this with a pinch of salt. The AT&T spectrum buy was of, at the opposite end of the spectrum. So uh, they're buying very high-frequency spectrum. This is the kind of spectrum that's expected to be used for a lot of 5G networks, next generation of mobile networks in the US. Uh, and Straight Path, as I say, hadn't been using that spectrum. It's basically been a holding company. And so AT&T is looking to buy that spectrum as a sort of lay in the groundwork for, for building 5G. So interesting set of stuff. The big carriers kind of largely sat out the spectrum auction, mostly because AT&T and Verizon already have plenty of that low band spectrum. And then Sprint's in a really sort of low investment phase of its strategy at the moment and just sat out entirely. Aaron, I know I've just talked a lot, and a lot of that was explanation, but any thoughts on all of that? Well, I I wonder what... It, Sprint's going to be pretty lonely in this space if T-Mobile catches up with AT&T and Verizon in terms of coverage and quality. And I wonder how well that's going to work for them, because the only way they'll be able to compete is doubling down on the, the low-price strategy that they've been using mm-hmm. um, yeah. as a Sprint customer. Because I get an amazing deal through my employer with Sprint, right. but... But that's the only reason I'm on it is because of low price. And I'm just yeah. I'm wondering how long that'll be sustainable if they end up being the only one around in that area. Yeah, it was interesting. Actually, I saw they, they put out a tweet this week specifically about the town where you live and saying that Sprint is now the best <laughs> in that town. So I was kind of struck by that. Generally, I think here in Utah, they're not that great. But uh, mm-hmm. apparently yeah. in your town as a whole, supposedly, <laughs> they're now top. Um, but yeah, the other interesting thing about that, of course, is, and this this is you know always part of the theory behind why Sprint is investing so little in network right now, is that it still hopes to merge at some point with another carrier. And another interesting thing about this auction is, because the carriers were expected to be involved in it, they were all under an anti-collusion quiet period, so they couldn't talk to each other about anything else either, really. And so to the extent that there were going to be mergers or anything like that in the telecoms industry, they couldn't be discussed until after this auction's over. Uh, and actually, I think the 27th of this month is when that limit uh, lifts. And so one of the things that has nothing to do with Spectrum per se, but that may end up happening as a result of this auction is that the carriers start talking to each other again. And we could see Sprint, for example, try to merge with T-Mobile again, something it tried and failed to do a couple of years ago, or Dish getting into the market, or one of the big cable companies getting into the market. So there's lots of potential for M&A activity going forward as well. I can only hope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All right, well, let's move on to our second topic. And this is two Apple news stories, as I said up front um, on Friday. Uh, the California DMV, which monitors uh, testing of autonomous 
uh, technology in cars on the roads, public roads in California, uh, added Apple to its list of companies that's been approved to do that testing. So, you know, we've known for years now that Apple was doing something with cars, but all their work has been either on uh, private tracks and so on, or in labs, or to the extent they've been on public roads, it's mostly been mapping and that kind of thing rather than uh, testing the actual autonomous driving on public roads. But they've now got license to do this. It sounds like it will be three Lexus SUVs, uh, six drivers licensed uh, to, to uh, drive those cars or to be the sort of standby drivers when they need to take over. Um, so that was one piece of news. And then the other one was a story, I think, from CNBC that Apple has been testing glucose monitoring technology in its labs for the past few years for diabetics. So two stories about sort of forward-looking Apple research and development efforts there. Uh, Aaron, what was your take on these two stories? Well, it's interesting that they're both business models that are going to take Apple pretty far outside what they are accustomed to doing, selling consumer electronics. Mm-hmm. I it, The car one is interesting to me because it it will pick up the heat a little bit on the rumors, which had cooled dramatically over the last, you know, five or six months. Yeah. Um, because it, it it's not just about it may still just be about components, but I don't think it's off the table, Apple making a car um, still. So we'll kind of see what happens with that, although they're not they're not Apple vehicles being driven. Um, they're existing vehicles with Apple technology. Right. Um, I, the, I, the one I'm excited about, but I think the rumor mill was kind of overhyping, was the diabetes uh, research. Um, this is f- from everything I've read, and we did an episode on this on on wearable sensors back. I think it was in August. Um, monitoring blood glucose through the skin, without actually like testing the blood itself, is mm-hmm. is incredibly hard. And there right. are there there are billions of dollars pouring into this, and research wise, um, the idea that Apple could sort of unlock this in a way that nobody else had. I don't know that Apple's design prowess or research prowess is necessarily going to make them any better at this than anybody who's already doing Mm it. So there's a chance that Apple will figure this out when nobody else could, but it's, I don't think their chances are better than anybody else who's working on this problem and has been working on it for a long time. I think if Apple eventually does have a breakthrough product that can test blood glucose through the, you know, like through observing the skin, which is essentially how this will work, it's going to have to. I suspect it'll be because they have a team of talented researchers who can lead Apple to the acquisitions, right? That will, that will, that will allow them to get a hold of the technology they need. I don't. I don't think that Apple's necessarily going to invent this. Right. Um, that said, you know there is a huge amount of potential. Diabetes runs in my wife's family, and we were at a family outing, and I had a nephew who had recently gotten an Apple Watch for his birthday specifically because he had a continuous glucose monitor, you know, and the way that works is you the 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 is there's essentially an insert that goes into your skin that mm-hmm. uh, then is is testing fluid levels, not blood, but fluid levels in your body that then feed this monitor and then the monitor talks to a phone and then a watch so you can continually monitor your blood glucose levels on your wrist. And that's really cool. But, I mean, it's $100 for each time you have to insert one of these things. And they they have an average life of about seven days. Oh, wow. And yeah. so a, a continuous glucose monitor is, is an expensive proposition. And obviously mm-hmm. insurance covers a lot of that because the health 
the health benefits of this are really high, so insurance companies are motivated to pay for these things. But it's right. pretty expensive. It, if if anybody comes out, Apple included, with a device that can that can monitor glucose levels just by looking at their skin, it's going to be really disruptive. And it, and it also will have benefits and applications to people who aren't diabetic. I, I think it'll be part of like diet programs and exercise programs too. Mm. So, yeah, potentially yeah, huge no. and disruptive. It's just not clear that Apple like has an edge in inventing this when nobody else does. Right. Right. That's the interesting thing too, is that of course Apple's not the only big tech company investing in glucose monitoring and diabetes related technology. Um, when we did our episode on uh, Verily, Alphabet's uh, health sciences division, uh, they heavily focus on diabetes related treatments. And one of the obvious reasons is there's something like 500 million people in the world with diabetes. I think that the numbers are something like uh, eight to ten percent of the population, or something like that. Um, so this is one of those chronic diseases that affects a lot of people, and so it's a big win if somebody can really figure some of this stuff out because it's it's quite a painful condition to manage, as you've been saying. Um, yeah, the self-driving car thing. To go back to that for a second is is interesting because obviously we've known about it, as I say, for a long time. The fact that Apple's moving this out of labs and private tracks and onto public roads is is a sign, certainly, that they're not completely scaling it back. That they are actually continuing with this and actually moving forward to the next phase. And so that's promising. Um, obviously, there's no guarantee that this means they're building a car at all. Um, you know, you've got companies like Bosch and Delphi out there. Uh, with similar permission to test on California roads, and they obviously just make car components. So, um, you know, obviously Waymo, which is doing far more of this stuff than anybody else in California right now, uh, is now not planning to make a car at all, but just to license the technology. So that's still a direction that Apple could go. The big question is just still, as you said, sort of what's the business model? Is it licensing? That's a very different business model for Apple. Is it building a car? And if so, you know, can, can Apple get there? Can they ramp up quickly enough? Can they, you know, again, even that, I mean, in some, some ways similar business model, but a massively different scale um, in terms of size of object, in terms of spend, et cetera. So lots of disruptive changes potentially if they go down that route. So very interesting thing to watch. Sadly, um, the, the reports that these companies have to then file with the California DMV only come out once a year in December. So it'll be about seven months until... Um, or so six months, I guess, at this point until um, the, the end of the year that they have to report and then they report in December. So we won't know until then how much driving Apple's actually been doing. And it's only about three companies that did more than a 1,000 miles of driving last year, uh, several others that did only a few hundred miles. So we might not get a ton of data from Apple, but we will have some sense of how much driving they're actually doing and, importantly, how good the technology is because that's the other thing they have to report is how many times the driver has to take over because the car does something wrong. So that'll be interesting to watch for sometime late this year as well. Well, let's move on to these Uber stories. And just quickly, Uber shared some financial numbers with Bloomberg this afternoon, um, sort of hand-picked financial, uh, financials. And although they say they're gap-based uh, from a reporting perspective, they're not fully comprehensive. So they exclude, for example, the China business that Uber sold this year. Uh, they exclude one or two other things like buying cars, presumably for self-driving testing of their own, things like that. Uh, in general, the headline was big losses. Losses went up by 5%. Revenue went up by a lot more. Part of that revenue growth is that they're moving towards Uber Pool, and they're reporting for Uber Pool uh, reports the entire uh, gross revenue as net revenue, whereas for 
non-pool rides. They only report Uber's own cut, which is much smaller, obviously. So there's some funny wrinkles there. Um, their their sort of their take on it, Uber's take on it, that they sort of pitched to Bloomberg was, you know, our revenue growth is far outpacing loss growth. But of course, what you really want to do is far outpace cost growth. Uh, they didn't say that. So, um, you know, still increasing losses. Uh, losses were higher year on year than they uh, had been the year before. Uh, but significant losses. And a couple of other stories about Uber. The information had a story about this uh, hell program um, that Uber ran. Uh, this stopped, I think, sometime about a year ago, but used to have this program under which we basically hacked uh, the Lyft app to figure out where Lyft drivers were to track them and then to try to turn them into Uber drivers. And certainly arguable that they broke Lyft's terms of service. If nothing else, there may also have been some illegality to that as well. And then their head of PR also left this week. So another big week for Uber. But Aaron, what was your t- take on these three stories? I think they all kind of reiterate the fact that you know, as dominant as Uber is right now in the ride-sharing space, there's no reason to think that it'll stay that way. I, I think there are all kinds of things to be really concerned about that may lead to their downfall. And and it might be a, an ethics scandal that will finally take them down. It might be, a, um, you know, just financial gravity, which, I mean, let's be honest, they're, they've gotten enough investors to keep them in this to go way farther than I think most people would have ever predicted investors would be willing to let a company go in terms of spending like crazy for market penetration. The thing is, is there's such a low barrier to entry for a ride-sharing service. There are a bunch of people ready to scoop up right away when Uber, you know, starts hitting the rocks, which it looked, which that's their path right now, as much as they're growing until they can start turning this into profit. That's not where they're headed. And, the, and they can't live forever off of investment capital. I mean, they're going to run out of Saudi and Chinese billionaires. So that's... Right. And so, that, I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to, is that as big and impressive as Uber is right now as a company, we, you, I, I wouldn't tell anybody to take for granted that they're going to be around three years from now. Yeah. Yeah, the challenge, I mean, on the one hand, I, you know, they've had this horrible start to the year, and on the other, we've had several reports both from them and from some third-party companies that they're doing better than they ever have before so none of this stuff even though it's dominated news coverage and so on has been that detrimental to their market share to their ability to continue to grow their business and so on so it's still possible as you say that there's a complete meltdown at some point down the road Um, but so far it doesn't seem to be affecting their actual performance and that's because they're still much bigger in uh, in the U.S., but globally especially than, than Lyft is. Lyft is really just here in the U.S. And uh, and even here is much smaller than Uber has a sort of tiny share compared to Uber's share. Um, you know, these are very interchangeable products. So, I mean, the last two weeks I've been traveling in uh, New York two weeks ago and Washington, D.C. last week and, you know, needed to take a ride-sharing service of some kind and, um, you know, decided not to use Uber, decided to use other services where I could and use Lyft and I think via um in, uh, in New York and, and Lyft exclusively last week in DC, you know, it's interchangeable, feels exactly the same, very easy, works very well and so on. Um, so in theory, it's very easy for people to switch, but in practice, people don't seem to be switching that much. And so there is still this big question about whether people actually will change their behavior in any meaningful way. So far, I've seen very little evidence of that. Um, but yeah, it's still possible that they'll, they'll at some point, either the financial stuff or something else, ends up taking them down and, and certainly 
you know, their long-term plan is very heavily reliant on self-driving cars, and that's an argument they've made in their lawsuit with Waymo that, you know, this LiDAR technology is absolutely critical to their future business model, and if they're, they're injuncted from, from using it, then that really hurts their future prospects. That's an exaggeration, obviously, but, um, you know, long-term, their business model depends in part on getting the drivers out of the way and owning the whole infrastructure. Um, and so, you know, whether they're actually any good at that over time is a big open question too, because the data from California, from that same DMV database I was talking about earlier, suggests they're, they're really not very good yet. Uh, and so the other data that I've seen too. So, um, you know, that's, that's another big risk factor for them. Well, and another part of that is that the ride-sharing market um, has to be big enough for them to justify a whole new slew of capital from investors. Yeah, to move into the self-driving space there, yeah. and uh, it's hard to say that the math works on that. And it right. seems much more likely that somebody small can have an easier time getting investor capital to do the self-driving thing in the ride-sharing space. Mm. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And of course, you've got companies like Ford that are building their own ride-sharing fleets with yeah. autonomous technology. That's kind of going to be their focus for their first cars. So that'll right. be interesting to watch too. All right, two last quick topics. Um, first off, Samsung Bixby. And this was one of those funny ones where um, there was a piece about Bixby not understanding British English uh, that appeared in Business Insider UK the week uh, of the event, so two weeks ago, uh, that mentioned in passing that Bixby wasn't going to be available in American English until May. Um, but that doesn't seem to have been picked up in any of the US press, all of which were expecting all of the Bixby features to be available at launch next week here in the US. Um, and it, this week, suddenly, there was a slew of stories saying uh, it's been delayed, it won't be launching until sometime later in the spring. So to some extent, that just confirmed what I thought everybody already knew, but apparently people didn't. On the other hand, it was big news this week because most of the US press didn't understand that. And from talking to reporters, it seems that Samsung's UK PR people told their UK people something different than, than the US people. So it's partly communication on Samsung's part. But, uh, you know, this was one of the big headline features for these devices, and, and it won't be available, um, at least the voice portion of the assistant, the other stuff, the photographs and, and other elements of the assistant will be available. The voice portion won't be available for probably at least a month, I'm guessing, possibly longer. Uh, and it just kind of highlights how difficult it is to get this stuff to market, how difficult it is to do it in multiple languages, um, which is one thing that Apple Siri has been good at, is getting lots and lots of languages supported. Um, but, you know, they've got two choices at this point. Either they rush it out when it's not ready, in which case it's a terrible experience, which isn't good, or they push it back, in which case a bunch of people that pre-ordered on the basis that they thought Bixby was going to be part of the new phones isn't available. Um, and uh, and that's not great either. So they're kind of between a rock and a hard place of their own making, frankly, but uh, interesting sort of challenges for Samsung here. Yeah, well, and I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal that Bixby isn't ready when the handset's coming out. Apple's done that before with features. I think the mistake here is just mismanaging expectations. And you right. got to be really clear. And every time Apple has shipped something, like uh, like um, uh, the, uh, the, the, mode. Yeah, the iPhone S portrait mode is a great example of that. You knew where it was going. It came out later with a software update, and everybody knew it wasn't going to be there at launch, and it was no big deal. Everybody just said, yeah, that's fine. You need more time to work on this. And so it was dumb about this on Samsung's part is that's such an easy thing to do. I mean, it really is so trivial to set expectations appropriately, right. and they clearly didn't do that very well because the press is all, you know, 
I don't want to say up in arms, but they're definitely going after Samsung as yeah. being sloppy or lazy or missing deadlines. And it's none of that really happened. They just did a bad job communicating this feature is going to come later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely agreed. Well, in the interest of time, let's move on to our last topic, which is a set of stories about the eco. Uh, this is the big Chinese company that had a splashy launch in the U.S. late last year. We, we covered it at the time, and it was back in September. Um, well, the interesting thing about them relative to other Chinese companies is that they really claim to have an ecosystem, and uh, rather than just you know selling cheap devices, which has been sort of the value proposition of a lot of other Chinese handset vendors. So they have smartphones, they have TVs. They were planning to buy Vizio. That acquisition kept getting pushed back and pushed back, and this week they finally uh, said that it's actually not going to go ahead. Um, so what should have been their one big sort of familiar brand in the U.S., Vizio, is now no longer going to be part of the company, which is a big blow. There was also a story from Bloomberg that their U.S. revenue last year was $15 million versus a goal of $100 million and that they would have some fairly significant layoffs. And then just today on Friday, it was a third piece of news that they are killing off the content portion of their ecosystem. So, you know, ecosystem is always a bit of a strong word for what they had going, but at least there was a sort of services element with a a content subscription, a video subscription. Uh, They're killing that off. Um, And so they're instead just going to offer some free DirecTV Now um, content uh, for, I think, three months' worth of free content with purchase of hardware. Um, But that's, of course, not part of their ecosystem. That's a, a partner. Um, and so, you know, three bits of bad news from, from the eco this week, two of them official, one of them just reported by Bloomberg. But Aaron, what was your take on all this? I just need to admit how wrong I was. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> when this, when the eco started moving this direction into the U.S. and they announced all these U.S. plans, uh, you were pretty skeptical and I was reasonably optimistic. Then they announced the Vizio purchase and... I thought, yeah, this is going about, this seems right. And you were right. I was wrong. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I th- I've always thought they were a very interesting company. As I say, they were different and they really were trying to come in with an ecosystem, which is kind of how you have to compete in the U.S. at this point if you're in this business. And so that seemed more promising in some ways than, say, Huawei or ZTE or some of these other Chinese companies we've seen come into the U.S. market. But the problem was the ecosystem always felt pretty half-baked. It felt like it was a funny combination of stuff just transferred directly from China, despite the massive cultural differences between these two markets. And then stuff that was just half-baked, it wasn't really clear what was in that content subscription, for example. Um, the smartphones were being sold through their own online channels, which, of course, nobody would go to because they don't know who they are. Increasingly through some third-party channels, but not through carriers, which is obviously very important in the U.S. when it comes to smartphones. The TVs were their own brand again and not really incorporating the Vizio brand, thank goodness, because that acquisition hasn't closed. But yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was just either unanswered questions or just seemed, say, half-baked. And so, yeah, it just seemed like they were spending way too much money. And the parent company is really cash-constrained at the moment too, which hasn't helped matters. And there was a story, I think, last week or the week before that they were struggling to pay U.S. salaries. Um, But, uh, you know, it just seemed like they pushed way too hard, way too quickly without really having their story or their strategy, you know, well thought out or fully in place yet. And and we're now starting to see the results of that. So not great for a company that, as you say, I mean, fairly enough, had had some promise uh, based on their model. But, uh, you know, they just really, it hasn't panned out the way that they were suggesting it would. Yeah. Well, you're being nice to me. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Well, um, that rounds up the news roundup. So thank you for being with us. We'll have in the show notes links to all the uh, pieces that I've done, all these news items that we've uh, discussed today. One quick note, uh, this was the week that I finally did what I've been saying I would from the beginning, which is that the Tech Narrative site now has a, a paywall. It's now a subscription service. Uh, there will be a couple of free pieces every day, but most of it will be behind that paywall. So we'll link to those pieces, but some of them you'll need to subscribe uh, there is a 30-day free trial, so if you just want to try it out uh, or just want to access those pieces during the trial and then cancel, that's fine too. Uh, but go check it out if you'd like to. As I say, it'll be in the show notes. We had some feedback a while back about the show notes. We've always put them up on the website um, and, and included links and so on. I didn't put links in the show notes on SoundCloud or Overcast or any of those places because uh, they got stripped out, so they weren't actually linked. I found a way to do it now. It's a bit ugly. It means you have to put the full URL in plain text in there, but it, it does seem to work that way. So I've started putting those uh, URLs into the show notes. So if you scroll down far enough, you should see those in your podcast reader and you should be able to click through directly to the website and so on. So give that a try. Give us feedback if it's working for you or not. Uh, but thanks for being with us again. No Question of the Week episode this week, but we should be back with that and another news roundup. Uh, next week and next week I'm going to be at the Facebook developer event so it's possible that we'll do the the question of the week about some of what they announced there but more on that next week so have a great weekend enjoy your uh, Easter weekend if you celebrate Easter and uh, we'll talk to you next week bye-bye